Hey everyone and welcome to my A to Z of musicals and this week we're going to dive into everything beginning with the letter G. I'm Tony and you can find me on Twitter at Theatre Flashbacks. Let's get started. Okay, so I remember having a vinyl record when I was a teenager and it was two film soundtracks. It was called a double feature and on one side it was the 1951 MGM film version of Showboat and on the other side it was the 1952 MGM film Lovely to Look At and both of these films had music by Jerome Kern and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein the second showboat and lovely to look at both starred Catherine Grayson and so that's where I'm going with this Catherine Grayson letter G absolutely incredible I loved her work and in fact I remember seeing the film of showboat and uh, First of all, she was so pretty, so gorgeous, and her soprano voice, just just sublime, really. And uh, singing alongside the magnificent Howard Keel on both sides of the vinyl in both films. And in fact, they starred together again in the 1953 film, MGM film, of Kiss Me Kate. Uh, now, Catherine Grayson, just a, a gorgeous performer, she always wanted to be an opera singer and she trained as a young girl as a teenager and actually performed a lot on the radio singing and it was in the 1940s when she was signed up uh, by Hollywood to be a kind of a supporting actress she had small roles in films and it wasn't until 1944 that MGM promoted her from featured player to the official star list and interestingly also that year 1944 on the star promotion list were Gene Kelly and Van Johnson, Margaret O'Brien and Robert Walker. So some brilliant uh, performers there who, who went from um, supporting actors to star roles. So the star roles started coming in and the first main starring role for um, Catherine Grayson was Anchors Away with Frank Sinatra and of course Gene Kelly. And that film was such um, a great success. Uh, she sang the up and down scale song All of a Sudden My Heart Sings, which is just wonderful. And also in that film, Gene Kelly danced with the cartoon Mouse Jerry, the Tom and Jerry Mouse, and that was quite a, a special effect at the time. And Catherine Grayson then went on to be in films like Ziegfeld Follies, Until the Clouds Rolled By, It Happened in Brooklyn, which is interesting because that film was the introduction of Andre Previn as a pianist and composer, and he was only 17 years old at that time. Uh, as an aside, uh, Catherine Grayson made a few films, a couple of films, with Mario Lanza, 
who had that incredible voice. Uh, he went on to star in the film The Great Caruso. And there's a funny story that um, Mario Lanza kept trying to kiss uh, Catherine Grayson during the making of one of their films and she was trying to resist and uh, he would start eating garlic before going on to filming. And so she asked the costume designer, Helen Rose, if she would sew into her gloves some lead weights. And so every time he tried to, to kiss her, she clobbered him on the head with the weighted gloves. Uh, so no, he, he wasn't going to get away with that, was he? <laughs> um, so yeah, Catherine Grayson, an absolutely gorgeous singer, performer, and then she made those great films, Showboat, lovely to look at. She also made the 1953 film of The Desert Song with Gordon McRae and uh, The Vagabond King in 1956. So many great roles. Um, in later life, when the kind of musical films of MGM stopped rolling, really, she did concerts and and some of her opera work as well, which she had always dreamt of doing. And she did star on stage in some musicals. She actually took over from Julie Andrews in 1962 in Camelot after Julie Andrews uh, decided to, to step down from the role. And also in 1964, she performed the role of Magnolia Hawks again in Showboat, this time on stage. So... I think it's absolutely right that we have Catherine Grayson in our A to Z of musicals. My first musical, beginning with the letter G, is the fabulous Guys and Dolls. It really is a funny, colourful, vibrant, delightful musical comedy. And in fact, the famous choreographer Bob Fosse said of this show, it was, quote, the greatest American musical of all time. Well, it really is. It's just, uh, uh, it's fun and vivid and colourful. It's just uh, a great show with music and lyrics by the fabulous Frank Lesser. Uh, now, he's famous for so many things, but he actually won an Academy Award in 1949 for Best Song that year for... Baby, It's Cold Outside, which we all know as a Christmas classic. Um, Frank Lesser also wrote some other shows, musicals. Uh, in uh, 1948, he'd written Where's Charlie, which is based on one of my favourite comedy plays, Charlie's Aunt. Uh, and it starred on stage originally Ray Bolger, the wonderful scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Frank Lesser also wrote the music and songs for the film Hans Christian Andersen in 1952. And uh, after Guys and Dolls, he did The Most Happy Fella and How to Succeed in Business Without Trying. So, yes, a great pedigree there. The story of Guys and Dolls was based on a series of stories created by Damon Runyon, and they were developed by Joe Swirling and Abe Burroughs under the direction of George S. Kaufman and production by Cy Fewer and Ernest Martin. This was a great team and they did a really fabulous job. They brought in choreographer Michael Kidd. 
So when you watch these scenes, well, obviously on stage, but in the film as well, because Michael Kidd also choreographed the film. Just a fantastic uh, choreographer. Now, the stage production in 1950 had Robert Alder as Sky Masterson, Isabel Bigley as Sarah Brown, and the wonderful Vivian Blaine as Miss Adelaide and Sam Levine as Nathan Detroit. And this was a great team. In fact, Vivian Blaine and Sam Levine went on to take the show to London in 1953, where it opened at the London Coliseum just a few days before the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, at th Vivian Lane, Blaine and Sam Levine also actually um, took the show to Las Vegas and did the anniversary, 15th anniversary production as well. So they were connected with this show for a long time. Vivian Blaine was the only one of the four leads from the stage production who went on to be in the 1955 film of Guys and Dolls. So Guys and Dolls became a Goldwyn MGM film and it had a really strange but very talented group of lead actors. So Jean Simmons, British actress, she did a, a really great performance as Sarah Brown, although she wasn't a singer. And Marlon Brando did a fabulous job. Again, non-singer, but he sang the parts of Sky Masterson with, of course, Frank Sinatra playing Nathan Detroit. And uh, everybody knows that actually Frank Sinatra wanted the part of um, Sky Masterson Sam Goldwyn, one of the producers, wanted Gene Kelly actually for the part of Sky Masterson, but MGM refused to loan him out. And I always think what a different film that would be if they had gone ahead with um, Gene Kelly. In the stage production and the film, we also have the wonderful character actor Stubby Kay, who reprised the role in the film of Nicely Nicely Johnson and uh, I love his performance and he went on to star as Herman in the uh, Sweet Charity film in 1967. Brilliant, brilliant man. The show of Guys and Dolls has just become a, a really popular show to put on and it's been performed around the world many times with revivals and on Broadway uh, a major one being in 1992, the Zerry, Jerry Zachs-directed uh, version with Faith Prince as Miss Adelaide, with Peter Gallagher, Nathan Lane and Josie de Guzman. And uh, that show did exceptionally well on Broadway. There was a famous 1982 National Theatre production in London of Guys and Dolls, directed by Richard Eyre. And this ran for almost four years with uh, original cast of Bob Hoskins as Nathan Detroit and Julia McKenzie as Miss Adelaide, Ian Charlson as Sky Masterson and Julie Covington as Miss Adelaide. And I did talk about Julie Covington when I was talking about Evita under the letter E of my A to Z. Um, I missed that 
production at the National Theatre when it was first on, but it did then tour later. So in 1985, I saw that production on tour, this time with Lulu as Miss Adelaide and Clark Peters as Sky Masterson. And I then saw the production back at the National Theatre in August of 1997. This time, Clark Peters still in the role of Sky Masterson, but the fabulous Imelda Staunton as Miss Adelaide, and also the wonderful Joanna Riding in the role of Sarah Brown. And funnily enough, Duncan Preston, the comedic actor, played Big Julie in that version. And I have seen this show several times since then, including the 2004 version at the Festival Theatre in Ontario, as well as the Chichester Festival production in August 2014 with my favourite Claire Foster in the role of Sarah, with Sophie Brown as Miss Adelaide and Jamie Parker as Sky. Peter Polycarpu as Nathan, an absolutely brilliant cast. And uh, finally, I did see a production at the Piccadilly Theatre in 2006 where Louise Dearman played the part of Sarah Brown. I think she's an absolutely stunning performer. And she was joined by uh, Samantha Womack, Samantha Janus as she was at the time in the role of Miss Adelaide. And this is such a great show. It's great fun. Guys and Dolls. My next letter G is the Canadian-born actor on stage, film and television, Victor Garber. And Victor Garber has such a lovely charm and way about him. He started out in theatre and his first big break was as Jesus in the 1972 Toronto production of Godspell. And this led to him being cast just the year after in the film version as Jesus. Uh, what an amazing opportunity for him. And he's great in that film. Uh, he then went on to have many roles on Broadway and off-Broadway, including in the original uh, 1979 Broadway production of Sweeney Todd as Anthony. He was in their playing our song and Little Me and Damn Yankees in a 1994 revival. And of course, he was in the original off-Broadway production of Assassins in 1991, where he played John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated President Abraham Lincoln. One of the things that I like especially about Victor Garber is that he had quite a connection with the Disney company for a while. In 1997 he played the king in the television adaptation, the third television uh, version actually, of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella and uh, I did talk a little about this earlier in the A to Z alphabet. Um, Victor Garber was also in the Disney film Took Everlasting from 2002. And interestingly, that show went on to become a Broadway musical. Uh, Garber played the part of Father Foster 
alongside Amy Irving, who played Mother Foster. And of course, we know her from Carrie, the original Stephen King film, and Yentl alongside Barbara Streisand and Mandy Patinkin. Um, then in 1999, Victor Garber starred in the TV Disney movie Annie and he played Daddy Oliver Warbucks and this was a great cast. He was uh, with Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan, the magnificent Audra MacDonald played Grace Farrell and Alan Cumming as Rooster, Kristen Chenoweth as Lily St. Regis and Actually, the original Annie, Andrea McArdle, does have a cameo role also in this 1999 TV movie. It was directed and choreographed by the upcoming Rob Marshall. Of course, we, we know that he went on to make Chicago, the film version of Chicago. That's not the end of Victor Garber's Disney connection, though. In 2003, Disney aired on their The Wonderful World of Disney show uh, a filmed version of Meredith Wilson's The Music Man, which had Matthew Broderick as Professor Harold Hill and again Christine Chenoweth, this time as Marion Peru, with Deborah Monk as Mrs Peru and uh, Victor Garber played the part of Mayor Shin. Victor Garber has actually been in three of my favourite films as well. In 1993, he had a small role in Sleepless in Seattle. In 97, he played the wonderful Mr Andrews, Thomas Andrews, in Titanic. And in 2001, he was in the film version of Legally Blonde as Callahan. And interestingly, all three of those films have gone on to be turned into stage musicals. In actual fact, Titanic, the musical, was released in the same year, 1997, as the film. So it's not a musical version of the film, but we'll talk about that when we get to the letter Y, because the composer is the fantastic Maury Yeston. So Victor Garber has continued to perform on stage. In 2007, he was in a stage concert version of Follies, as Ben alongside the marvellous Donna Murphy and most recently in 2018 he took over as Horace Vandergelder in the Broadway revival of Hello Dolly this time opposite Bernadette Peters. So there we have Victor Garber. Okay so if I said that you could only have one person in the letter G musical legends category, who else could it possibly be than Judy Garland? Yes, and I say her name with such reverence, Judy Garland. What an absolute blessing that she was. And truly a heartbreaking story because, of course, Judy Garland was only 47 years old when she died in London after a, a really difficult battle with pills and alcohol and failed marriages and breakdowns and just a, a really 
tragic ending to such an incredibly talented person. And uh, really, one of the things I think that happens, for me anyway, when I watch Judy Garland perform is that there is this really strong emotional connection between her and the camera and therefore you, the audience. Um, and I've always felt that I, I believe in her performances. I laugh with her and I cry with her and she truly was an absolutely incredible actress and singer and performer, both in film and television and of course later on in life on stage in her concerts. Judy Garland never actually performed in a stage musical, but boy did she um, create some of the most incredible roles on film. As a, a young girl, Frances Ethel Gum, what a great name, was born in 1922 and she became part of a vaudeville family group, the Gum Sisters Kidiat, from the age of three and she was performing all over vaudeville theatres and was an absolute star straight away. People loved her and, and when the act came to end it was... Judy Garland's mother, who took her to Hollywood and helped to get her established. And she made quite a lot of films before she became the big name star that we know now. And in films that I'd never even heard of, like Pigskin Parade in 1936 and The Thoroughbreds Don't Cry, which was her first billing, actually, with Mickey Rooney. In 1938, she made her MGM debut, and of course it was this pairing with MGM that really worked so brilliantly. There are three really important films from 1938 worth mentioning. The first being Broadway Melody of 1938, where she had quite a small part actually, but she sang You Made Me Love You to the black and white photograph of Clark Gable, if you remember, and it was such a beautiful performance. And also in 1938, she starred in Love Finds Andy Hardy. This was the fourth in a series of Andy Hardy films, 11 in total, and she starred in three of them, along with Mickey Rooney. And the other film worth mentioning from 1938 was called Listen Darling, with Freddie Bartholomew. This is where she sang Zing Went the Strings of My Heart for the first time and that became a standard in her concerts over the years. But of course it was the 1939 classic MGM movie musical The Wizard of Oz that led to Judy Garland becoming a star. She was only 16 years old when she was cast. And you could argue that this is one of the most beloved films of all time. It certainly has developed a cult status as well. And the film ushered in the golden era of MGM. At the time, it was the most expensive production that MGM had made in their first 15 years as a studio. The film wasn't an easy film to make. 
And it actually went through four directors before Victor Fleming was given ultimate uh, credit on the film and 10 screenplay writers. But of course, this film had the most beautiful music and fantastic performers. Jack Haley as the Tin Man and Ray Bolger as the Scarecrow, Bert Lahr as the Cowardly Lion and Frank Morgan as the Wizard. All absolutely brilliant performances, along with Judy's role as Dorothy Gale. And the film had music by Harold Arlen, lyrics by E.Y. Harburg, and the musical score, the incidental music, by Herbert Stothart. And actually, he was uh, nominated and won uh, an Academy Award that year for Best Original Music, as along with the song Over the Rainbow, which won for Best Song. And of course, that's the song really that's synonymous with Judy Garland. Actually, as an aside, Harold Arlen also wrote some of the most popular 20th century songs, including Stormy Weather and The Man That Got Away that was later in the film A Star Is Born. Judy made 34 feature films in her career, although they weren't all musicals. And uh, some of my favourites include For Me and My Gal, the 1942 film with Gene Kelly. That was his film debut. And then there's the wonderful scene where they sing The Bells Are Ringing. Ah, I love that. Um, there's the 1943 film Girl Crazy and uh, with Mickey Rooney. And actually, this was the basis for the 1992 Broadway stage show Crazy For You with music by George and Ira Gershwin. I particularly like The Harvey Girls, the 1946 film where she plays the good girl against Angela Lansbury's bad girl. And the 1948 film The Pirate, again with Gene Kelly, which was a marvellous pairing. I've already talked about Easter Parade when I did my letter E. And uh, there's Meet Me in St. Louis, where she plays Esther Smith with a radiant performance in there and that wonderful scene with the trolley song and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Judy just brought the screen alive for me. Um, I really enjoyed In the Good Old Summertime, uh, where you see right at the very end of that film, you get a glimpse of Liza Minnelli as a tiny, tiny little girl. And... Um, the film The Clock from 1944, which was a rare non-singing role with Robert Walker. And again, for me, one of my favourite performances, which was not as well received and isn't thought of as uh, one of Judy's greatest films, was the 1950 film Summer Stock. This was her, if you like, her MGM swan song um, she was having such a difficult time during the filming of this and she would turn up late or not even turn up at all to rehearsals and, uh, um, and the studio were not happy that she, in their opinion, was gaining weight. And, and so this was her last film for MGM, but it's got the most incredible 
uh, Get Happy sequence, which was filmed after the rest of the film. It was the final scene. There was a break from filming and then Judy was asked to come back and record one last song. And uh, this is such a classic moment, isn't it? So Get Happy from Summer Stock. By this point in her career, sadly, Judy was getting a reputation for uh, poor behaviour and missing and delaying rehearsals. And in 1950, April of 1950, production started on the film version of Annie Get You Gun, which Judy had been cast in the lead role of Annie Oakley. However, production stopped fairly quickly and cameras stopped rolling when Judy suffered a breakdown. And the pressures of early stardom and the prescribed medication that the studios had uh, given her had had this massive impact on her. So by this time in her life, she really was struggling. And uh, unfortunately, Judy was replaced in Annie Getty Gun by Betty Hutton. Um, also that year, Royal Wedding, the film Royal Wedding, Judy was um, signed up for with Fred Astaire and she was also replaced in that film by Jane Powell. And that was the end of her MGM career, uh, which was really, really heartbreaking and sad. It was in... 1954 that Warner Brothers gave her the opportunity to star in A Star Is Born which was of course the first musical version of this film but the second version of the film after the 1930s production with Frederick March and Janet Gaynor. This film was directed by George Cukor and she starred with James Mason as the magnificent Esther Blodgett. And I just love that name. No wonder in the film story, they changed her name to Vicky Lester. And in that final heart-wrenching scene when she introduces herself to the audience as Mrs. Norman Maine after the death of her husband and she so she has three names in that film uh, this was such a great great film and a wonderful opportunity for her and she was actually nominated for best actress uh, the film was nominated for six academy awards unfortunately judy did not win um, but she did receive an academy award in 1940 it was actually a special Academy Juvenile Award for her performance in The Wizard of Oz and Babes in Arms. And uh, she actually also received a huge number of awards throughout her life, including Grammars, Oscars, the Oscar, of course, and a Tony Award for her record-breaking uh, run uh, in, in concert. She didn't quite get the EGOT, the, the whole four awards, um, even though she did have two Emmy nominations. So Judy Garland was reaching a time in her film career where she was not being offered the parts in spite of that amazing 
performance in A Star Is Born, but she did actually have two of her most critically acclaimed film roles uh, towards the end of her film career. In 1961, uh, in Judgment at Nuremberg, and she was nominated as Best Supporting Actress. And again in 1963, which was actually her final film, I Could Go On Singing. Uh, at this point in her life, actually, um, in the late 1960s, Jerry Herman, the uh, composer of MAME, did uh, say about her in his memoirs that he hoped that she would take over from Angela Lansbury in MAME when Angela Lansbury was to leave the show in 1968. And he, he said that it was a dream of his that she would play MAME because she would have made a fantastic MAME Dennis. Um, this never happened because the producers of the show said no, they couldn't take on somebody who was so unreliable. And uh, Jerry Herman was an absolutely massive Judy Garland fan and he says, quote, I was the craziest, most ardent Judy Garland fan of all time. It was a passion that went beyond reason. And so when the producers of MAME said that Judy Garland could not take on the role, he was devastated, and especially when he heard that she was so upset by uh, this rejection. It was actually only the following year, in 1969, the 22nd of June, that Judy Garland died. And uh, she was in Belgravia in London, and... Uh, it was reported as an accidental death. There were lots of rumours of whether it was a suicide. And she had attempted suicide in the past, but there was no evidence to suggest that that was the case. And Judy Garland left us at that very, very young age of 47. And, uh, you know, there's so many magical moments from her life and works and career but I always think there's no place like home is uh, such a special line from her films. So our legend for the letter G, Judy Garland. Now, I always knew that if I ever did an A to Z of musicals under the letter G, I would have to include Matthew Garber. Now, Matthew Garber was the wonderful British child actor who starred as Michael Banks in the Disney 1964 film of Mary Poppins. And first of all, that is one of the most magical, wonderful films of all time. And I love it. And Matthew Garber starred along with Karen Dutrice, who was Jane Banks, his sister. And interestingly, both Matthew and Karen starred in three Disney films together. In 1963, the year before Mary Poppins, they starred in The Three Lives of Thomasina, which is um, a film about a, a cat who basically has nine lives, or three lives of Thomasina. And uh, they starred with the lovely Susan Hampshire. And then the year after it was Mary Poppins. 
Now, one of the things about Matthew Garber that always just brought a smile to my face was the fact that he looked so much like the actor David Tomlinson, who played his father, George Banks. And it really was incredible that they found somebody with such a great look. Check the film out again and have a look at them because it, it, he absolutely could be the real son of David Tomlinson. Now, I know that um, Karen Dutrice's father, Roy Dutrice, who was a famous English actor, actually knew Matthew Garber's family and it was Roy Dutrice who suggested to Disney that he might be a suitable young actor to use. Um, and actually, uh, in 2004, Matthew Garber was named, along with Karen Dutrice, as a Disney legend. This is a ceremony that they hold, I think it's every two years now, uh, where they name people who have made an important impact in the world of the Disney films and Disney journey. So, after Mary Poppins... Matthew Garber and Karen Dutrice also starred in The Gnomemobile. But obviously, it's Michael Banks that he's most famous for. And just as an aside, uh, in uh, the new Mary Poppins Returns, Karen Dutrice actually has a cameo role. Um, and she asks for directions. And after she gets the answer, she says... Many thanks, sincerely. And that's such a lovely nod to the original film and to the song that she and Matthew Garber sang, The Perfect Nanny, when they wrote all of the wishes and dreams that they would like their nanny to be. And that reminds me of my really good friend Denise because she and I, at one of the first times we ever really met and chatted, sang the whole of The Perfect Nanny with no mistakes, no missing words, and we both knew at that moment that we were going to be lifelong friends. Now, sadly, Matthew Garber died at the very young age of 21. Um, in 1976, he went on a trip to India and he contracted hepatitis, and the following year, he died of pancreatitis. And that is such a, a sad, sad story. And I was so pleased that he was named as a Disney legend uh, posthumously. So, Matthew Garber, letter G. So, in 2008, I had an out-of-body experience when I went to see Patti Lapone on Broadway in Gypsy. What an absolutely brilliant time I had. The, from the second the music started, the orchestra, you could see the entire orchestra on stage and the sound, because that overture, oh, that overture is magnificent, isn't it? Um, this was so exciting for me because I had not seen the show before, I didn't know the show and I could not wait to see it in front of me. Patti Lapone was phenomenal. 
but she also was supported by the fabulous Laura Benanti as uh, Gypsy Rose Lee. Now, Louise, she, she was just, <laughs> she was fantastic. What a beautiful voice. Now, I was listening to somebody on a podcast just recently. They were talking about the song Little Lamb from Gypsy and, and they weren't really that keen on it. You have to see Laura Benanti sing this song to really appreciate it. She, she cried real tears singing this song and every single person in that theatre felt her loneliness. Uh, it was such a spectacular performance. It, it moved me to tears and uh, I, 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 will, I just think Laura Benanti can do no wrong. But in this production, she was just stunning. And alongside of them were the wonderful Leanne Larkin as Dainty June. She was fabulous. Alison Fraser as Tessitura. Wow. And for me, also Tony Yazbek as Tulsa. Now, this was the first time I saw Tony Yazbek on Broadway. Not the last, I have to say. And he was incredible in this part. And... You know, this is not a big role, but there's that opportunity to really shine. And uh, he did. He was brilliant. So my experience of Gypsy on Broadway has then led me to seek out every and any production I can find because it really just is wow. Gypsy is considered by many to be the ultimate Broadway musical. It's so well known and beloved. It's a masterpiece and it had an incredible team working on it. Produced by Leland Haywood and David Merrick on Broadway in 1959 with Jerome Robbins, who'd already had success with at West Side Story by this point as director and choreographer with the book by Arthur Lawrence and music by the amazing Julie Stein and of course the young but already successful Stephen Sondheim as lyricist he again had had his Broadway debut with West Side Story what a team and the powerhouse performance from Ethel Merman really is what provided the backbone for Gypsy. She was brassy and sensitive and she knew that this role was probably the most important in her career and one of the things that Ethel Merman did was that she did the entire Broadway run of 702 performances uh, as well as going on tour with this show which isn't a thing that Ethel Merman did. Um, this show is packed with brilliant music and uh, really this is one of the key things about this show is that there's a seamless blend of song and story building, storytelling and 
songs like everything's coming up roses and roses turn and if mama was married they're just incredible songs but are so important to the movement of the story as well and this show just brings joy but also heartache and, and sadness when you watch it it's a really devastating piece about uh, a mother and her relationship with her daughters and uh, it's great when you watch this that you can see different interpretations of it the show has uh, had so many revivals in america but not so much so in the united kingdom um, angela lansbury of course led the role uh, and the whole show in London in 1973. And then she went to Broadway with it for its first revival in 1974. And there were so many great Mama Roses over the years, the magnificent Tyne Daly, and of course, Bernadette Peters in 2003. She'd made her Broadway, not her Broadway, sorry, she'd made a stage debut in a production of Gypsy, a touring production, when she was 13 years old. So she kind of came full circle with her Broadway performance as Mama Rose. Then, of course, there was the 2007 Encores concert version with Patti Lapone, which then led to her Broadway performance that I mentioned before. This show is based on, or loosely based on, the real-life story of stripper and actress Gypsy Rose Lee and her sister, June Horvick, who became June, June Havoc, uh, was a film actress and uh, actually she had quite a successful career after this. But interestingly, June Havoc t uh, initially said to the producers of the show that they couldn't use her real name in the show so baby June was going to be baby Claire <laughs> imagine that um, so then in 1962 a film version of Gypsy was made now try and explain this to me why on earth did Ethel Merman not get the part in the film version. It just makes no sense. Don't get me wrong, I, I like Rosalind Russell as an actress. She's great in the film of Auntie Mame, but she doesn't have the singing voice. And she was actually, I mean, a lot of the songs were kind of spoken, sung speak, if you like, but she was dubbed as well by Lisa Kirk. Now, Lisa Kirk was already famous as a, a fabulous singer, actually, on Broadway. She was the original Lois Lane in Kiss Me Kate. And apparently it was the worst kept secret in Hollywood that year that Lisa Kirk had dubbed Ethel Merman. Um, and of course, Natalie Wood as well. Natalie Wood, Wood didn't sing. Uh, why did they do that in that film when there were some amazing people out there who could have done those voices and sung magnificently? Ethel Merman being one of them. I don't understand that. Sing out, Louise. 
And so we've reached that point in the podcast, letter G, where I need to reflect on who we missed out. And it's a very long list today. Um, we've missed out people like Peter Gallagher, Josephina Gabrielle, Josh Gad, Christopher Gable, the fabulous Christopher Gable, Betty Garrett, Michael Gore, so many people, Jaja and Ava Gabor, Joel Gray, good grief. We've missed out composer Howard Goodall, and we've missed out some fabulous shows, Gigi, Ghost, the musical, Grand Hotel, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the 1971 fabulous Godspell by Stephen Schwartz and John Michael Tebelak, and so many more. As always, we will touch on some of those later in the alphabet. I know I'll be talking about Stephen Schwartz, so Godspell will come up. And uh, But G has been a great letter, and there are so many, many shows and, and fantastic people to talk about. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening and I look forward to sharing the letter H with you next time. So until then, have a Doris day. Bye.